Oxenfree 2, Lost Signals, Diablo 4, and Colin from Accounts. This is Staying In. I know he's not here today, um, but I feel like I want to talk about something that Sam said a little while ago, and I can't remember if this was on the podcast. I don't think it was. The thing, real life and the podcast blur into one these days. Um, But Sam said some wisdom to me the other day, and I cannot get it out of my mind, and it has transformed my life over the last, I would say, couple of weeks. And that is, when you're leaving a room, take something with you. Yep. Right? I must admit that did also resonate with me somewhat. Now, I love this advice. So, just to break it down, much like Ron Seal, it's very much what it says on the tin. So you're so you're interpreting this literally, not as a metaphor, the room could mean something else. No, I'm I'm t- interpreting this literally. I have gotten into the pattern of when I think to myself, "Oh, I'm just going to go and do something else in some other room." My first thought is, "Can I take something from this room with me that would help me out in the future?" Right? And it has stopped me faffing around to no end. So, for example, and, and this is a magic, this is a kind of magic, where I will be, so I'll be in the bedroom and I'll be, I'll be, I'll be getting ready for the day. And I think, right, okay, I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to go and grab myself some breakfast. But instead of just going downstairs and grabbing myself some breakfast, just before I leave the bedroom, I think to myself, I'll take some laundry with me. I'll take some dirty laundry with me and I'll load the dish uh, I'll load the washing machine uh while I'm while I'm there. <laughs> and so I'll bundle up a load of stuff, take that downstairs with me, and chuck it in the in the laundry. And then I think, oh okay, well I'm gonna well I'm I'm down here. I've got to wait for the toast to 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 pop. I've got to wait for the coffee to I was gonna say brew. Uh, I don't drink that fancy coffee. For the instant coffee, I've got for the kettle to boil. <laughs> to dissolve. And for the instant, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and um, and so I think to myself, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I mean, I've brought the laundry down. It's already in the washing machine. I'll just put some tablets in and some conditioner and set it going. And then I'm done. And just that little bit of preparedness, just that little bit of thinking before I leave the room always take something with you has meant that laundry has become even easier i just it just it is it's 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 fantastic what what wisdom our friend there i mean what scares me pete was if if you had heard this you know this expression this phrase mm. this philosophical kind of uh, yeah. statement during lockdown what would have happened would be you have just swapped everything over in all the rooms in your house <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, Pete, we're out of toilet roll again. Where is it? Um, it's it's in the shed. It's in the shed because I can't obviously leave the bathroom without yeah. taking anything with me. Because actually, I've just left loads of stuff there. I was going to say, could, do you get to the point where it becomes a problem where you can't leave a room because you can't think of something to take with you? That's that's the beauty of it, Dan. I haven't reached that situation yet, and that shows you the amount of faff 
that we do in our lives all of the time of, oh, actually, oh, I, I do need to go and get that sort. Oh, I need to go and do the laundry now. And I go, oh, I've got to traipse back upstairs and do all that. No, I've already done it, right? Like it's, it's, you know that, what's that book called? The Magical Art of um, Tidying Up, whatever it's called. You're talking about Marie Kondo. Are you talking about Marie Kondo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, this this has changed my life. Sam's advice has changed my life in in the way that Marie Kondo has changed my life. Of... His his Sam Turner phrase is it? Is it? Oh, nice. They do sit. They, I, I have heard people refer to Sam as the Western Marie Kondo. Yeah. <laughs> is it Sam who's referred to? <laughs> you've heard that from? <laughs> So, so, so does it does it extend beyond kind of household chores? Can you like does it does it become anything that's other than just practical? Do you do you live by the, like the the crowded house version of always taking the weather with you? Is it is it, what how far does this go? I think you know I've it means that the the places are just generally more tidy, and I do sometimes think to myself if I'm going to go to another room. Do I want to do something else there? It makes me consider what it is that I'm going to do there. So, for example, the other day, and this shows you a terrible gl glimpse into my life, but like on the weekends, I'm exhausted usually. And I think to myself, I know, I'll go upstairs, have a lie down on the bed and just chill out. In a starfish sort of shape, face down. Generally, generally, yeah. What I'll actually do is I'll faff around on my phone. Right. And there's some great games. And I, you know, I love playing games on my phone and stuff like that. But sometimes it can feel a little bit like a waste. But be and I was going to do that again the other weekend. And what happened is instead I thought to myself, oh, because my brain went, oh, remember, you're leaving the room, take something with you. And I took my comic book reader with me and I took the comics up to the bedroom. And that was great because I was like, oh, yeah. And I did something meaningful and, and, and forward moving in terms of things that I love rather than just dossing around on my telephone. Uh, so it has had a, a somewhat, it, most of the effects, Dan, I will admit, are practical, but it has had some degree of influence in, and sway in terms of the things that I do for fun. I was going to say, Chris, what do you think Pete is more, which extreme is Pete more likely to reach first? Is he going to meet the extreme of he can't leave the room because he can't think of something to take with him? Or he refuses to leave the room because he's too lazy to take something with him. Ah. Well, I'm going to witness this firsthand soon because Pete and I and Sam are going to be sharing a hotel room together. Oh, my word. <laughs> so the two of them just constantly moving things around you like a conveyor belt as they go to the toilet and then they come back again. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's going to be... I would just want to see a time lapse of the room. <laughs> just... Everything just slowly moving around, almost like, you know, like sand on a dune, just with the wind, just everything moving around, getting buried. Oh, gosh. I, I, will, I will say this. There are some rooms that it's more difficult than others. So, for example, it's very difficult to move stuff from the bathroom into other rooms. Uh, equally, the other way around is often not advised. What do you do in those situations, Pete? What, what, when you look, what's the item that you think, yeah, this, is, this has use elsewhere in the bathroom? Well, actually... The time that it does happen is I will take empty loo rolls. 
Do you take? Do you do you? If there's more than one, do you just take one? Because like, I'll save that one for later. I'll get, yeah, I think <laughs> and, to myself, I'll need something for my number two later on. Pace yourself. <laughs> episode forty. Think back. We're on Ooh. episode one eight one now. Episode forty. Staying in podcast. Hold on. We were, all, we were all younger men. Hold on. Let's just look at what was happening around that period of time. It was oh old logo. I think, was I even a parent to that old point? logo? Yeah. So Monday, October the second, twenty seventeen. Oh, I'd been I'd been a parent for about just under a month. Incredible, incredible. So yeah, I hadn't slept in weeks at this point. This is pre-demic. Most simpler times. Uh, this is pre-Cosy Lives. Uh, <laughs> this feels like a Simpsons episode, you know, when they used to do those episodes where Marge and Home would tell a story from their past and they would yeah. set the scene. It was the year in which this had happened. Such and such was in the charts. <laughs> it just reminds me a little bit of that. Pre-Cosy Lives. Yeah. Pre-pandemic. <laughs> Dan had just been a parent for a month. <laughs> So, oh yeah, I know where we are. And the and the staying in crew was talking about Jamaica, cheap golf, and for some reason, little mix. So <laughs> that that was when you that was when we had Lisa on the episode, his yes. wife. Yes, and we were just all marveling at your knowledge of little mix. Because <laughs> yeah. I think it's fair to say, out of all of us, I mean, you're the you'll be the last person we'd think of as being the person who is just. Wow. Like mastermind level knowledge of Little Mix. Well, let's all you know. I think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a constant surprise. Um, so we were talking about the. So you're saying we were talking about the original Oxenfree then? We were talking about Oxenfree, and okay. I really love this game. It is generally one of my top ten games of all time. It's a game that I re- revisit every two years. You know, there are certain particularly okay. story driven games where if you play it every year, I think personally the the kind of the enjoyment of it wears off a little bit, wears a little bit yeah, thin. Like the Uncharted sure. games, I play those every two or three years or so, you know, one one go. Um, and Oxen, I, Oxenfree for me, um, which is set in the, the Northwest Pacific kind of coast and fictional town um, where a group of teenagers are all off to, all about to go off to college they meet on this island off there you know and it you know it's not a in a um an abandoned island or anything really it's 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 got some ruins on it it has a history but there are people who live on the island and it, the game takes place over one night as they're just they they start you know around a campfire and then they go into a cave and then using these little old school radios they open a doorway into a parallel kind of void really Mm -hmm. and they spend the evening trying to heal that rupture really so i've actually like i didn't play oxenfree like way back when it came out and i actually tried playing it very recently because it got um it got released onto the Netflix game platform. Oh, yes. So I, so I've got an iPad, and I was able to try and start that. And I didn't get very well. Pretty much, I got as far as you've said there. I got to the point where they entered the cave, and the kind of there, there was kind of with the radios, and there was something about this kind of like this kind of portal that was opening, and that was kind of as far as I got. And it, I was struggling to kind of really click with me. And I fear that like just beyond the point of which I have not necessarily stopped, but. 
I've I've not really carried on at the moment. I think just beyond that point is when it really kicks into gear. So is that would would you say is that kind of where the game finds its kind of its way forward? Yeah, I'm kicks into gear is an interesting expression really because one of the reasons why I love the game and one of the reasons why I actually chose to buy this on the Switch is because it has a quite a relaxed measured pace. Um, there are many, you know, there are many reasons why people are drawn to Oxen Free. Um, for a lot of people, it's it's the way in, in it handles dialogue, and it is kind of organic and kind of effortless. So people will be talking, and somebody will ask you a question, and you have three options, and you just you know quickly choose it on you know one of the buttons, and it does affect what people think of you, but not in a telltale sense where it's like oh so and so will remember that. What will happen is you know a little speech bubble will pop a pop above their head of just your picture in it. And it doesn't tell you what they think of you. It just means that you've you've made an impression on them in some way, shape, or form. And that can affect the endings in some respects, but it's not something that is wedded to that. If you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, the art style is beautiful in the Oxen Free games. It's this watercolory. Um, imagine like a uh kind of like a comic book kind of line drawing where it's been covered in watercolor painting but they haven't waited for it to dry it's just kind of slightly smeary a little bit and it adds this wonderful kind of like dreamlike haze to it because i'm burying the lead here because this is also a horror game okay and because you see some quite unsettling things throughout it well we obviously we talked about oxen free back in episode 40 and i don't think we've reached the point of this podcast where we're just thinking that we let's just cycle back through kind of old episodes and redo them again so obviously we're playing uh you're playing the sequel here aren't you yeah so from without obviously spoilers and giving anything away like when when you finished the first game were you itching for more or was it were, were you thinking, okay, this needs more stories to carry on, or did it, did it feel complete? Kind of, where were you when you found out kind of that there was going to be a sequel to this game that you obviously loved? Well, I was desperate to play this game, um, desperate for a sequel, not because I necessarily wanted the characters to continue on with these characters. I thought the characters were really lovely. I just loved the world, and I really, really loved the music and design of this. It's one of my favorite albums. It's one of my favorite kind of albums of gay music. Very experimental artist, very synthy. Um, this is a slight spoiler, but the game engages with lots of time dilation. And the musician, the composer, inflects that upon the textures and the structure of the music itself. But it's really just really quite cool, um, that kind of background. And I was reading an interview with them the other day when they were talking about the sequel and how they've become even more experimental with this, really. Um, because they've actually had a part of the sound design in the game as well, rather than having a separate role. So yes, I was desperate for a sequel in this regard, um, really. And I, I must admit, I've not I've not completed the game yet. I've sunk a few hours into it. I was away last week, so I've been playing it um, there, really. But you mentioned beforehand that Netflix, you saw this on Netflix, because Netflix, this is the first games company that Netflix bought, hmm. took ownership of. Um, this is Night School Studio that did Oxenfree. They also did a game called After Party, which I must confess I really didn't like. I really wanted to like it because it sounds really cool. Mm. But it it was really glitchy and it really got in the way of the story. Um, I've not really encountered many glitches so far in the Switch port, 
But the game itself, you could feasibly so far play this game without having played the original because it's set on a different island that is near the one from the first game. And from at the moment, you know, that previous story is mentioned, but you don't know really what happened. That's not articulated to you yet. So I don't think it's necessarily bad if you've not played the original because it's a mystery still. This time round, you're not playing a bunch of teenagers. This time round, you're playing as the character Riley, um, who is has basically gone back to this is where they grew up, um, and they've got a job. They used to be in the army, and now they've got this job, kind of doing a survey of the island by planting these transmitters, and akin to Oxen Free, the first mm. game, mm. weird stuff starts happening and you find yourself and your colleague Jacob traveling over the island trying to fix this problem whilst encountering strange kind of occurrences where the whole screen will just glitch like you're looking at an old telly and it will keep looping back as you're trying to find a way through it really. Okay. And you've got this, they've, they've brought forward from the first game, this radio where you can just tune into different things to open doors we have another radio to communicate with other people, so it has a little bit of a Firewatch vibe to it. But also um, the radio itself becomes this wonderful, um, this process of tuning into this world is very akin to narratively as the player you're trying to tune into and, um, this mystery that's here, really. And there's a lot of, lots of little things that you can find and discover on the way if you want to trawl the whole map. In a nutshell, it is just more of the same. I've not seen anything yet that has, you know, is doing anything overly different. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. The first Oxenfree came out in 2016. Mm. If, like me, you've waited this amount of time to play another chapter in that world and that original is beloved by you, then you're going to really love this one, really. Um, and it is just perfect for me on my Switch lights. For those who are not big fans of horror games or horror in general, the horror, I would say, is not necessarily putting pressure on you to try and avoid a fret or anything like that. You're not running away. There's no time constraints on you at all, really. Um, it's more just some of the images and the sound work itself are quite unsettling. But I would say that it's the whole veneer, the whole kind of look of it is this kind of spooky scooby-doo-esque vibe really of one night some weird stuff's going on and we've got to we've got to fix this you don't feel a victim in this you feel like okay let's let's sort this out and you can choose what kind of person you want to be based on how you respond to everyone else around you really i guess i don't quite understand the horror like like what kind of a horror is it? You were sort of saying unsettling. Like, are there jump yeah. scares? Are there? Um, is, it, is it is it gory? Is it not gory at all? No, okay. not gory at all. So what you have is some bits of possession, um, ghosts, um, but all through this um, this radio and the radio itself. You know, that's not necessarily a new thing in kind of Victorian ghost stories. Mm. You know, around the birth of these technologies 
this idea that when you could hear somebody's recorded voice for the very first time, this disembodied voice, invariably people can find the spectral in that. Right, there's, okay. There's, there's, you know, invariably there is something haunted and spooky about everything that is pre-recorded. We're just kind of used to it now, but it is kind of weird yeah. that people are listening to us right now at a different time. You know, we were talking about how when, you know, when we first talked about Oxenfree, Dan had not long been a parent. And it's wild, isn't it? You know, there's something there's something really ghostly without being spooky necessarily about anything that's recorded. So mm. this game does that fact, it tunes into that and you do that by twizzling the knobs or if you want to on your tablet, you can it's touch screen, you can use it that way to kind of use the radio as a means to to tap into to tune into the realm of the dead i suppose really um that's what it is chris i've got a question for you mm. what do the following games have in common here we go fifa 23 returnal mm. The Quarry, mm -hmm. Power Wash Simulator, Alba, A Wildlife Adventure, Elden Ring, Poor Patrol on a Roll, Untitled Goose Game. What do those games have in common? They've all been spoken about on this pod. It's close. It's close and it's not right. Basically, the thing these games all have in common is I've played them all very recently. And whilst I've been playing them, the exact same thing has happened. The thing that's happened is I've, I've clicked on the PS button. And it said, oh, you've got some friends online. And one mm. of my friends online was Mr. Peter Willington. And every Hello, single time he was playing Diablo 4. Every nice. single time. Doesn't right. matter what time of day, what day, nice. night, weekend, weekday. There's always a little number. Boop. It's Pete. He's playing Diablo 4. Pete, have it's you done me. anything in the last week other than play Diablo 4? Um, I've done some things. He's taken it into all the rooms around his house. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it, I must admit, if I'm playing on the PlayStation, I'm probably playing Diablo. Uh, it is, and I've been playing a lot more PlayStation uh, recently, even though I have my lovely Steam Deck now. Did I tell you I've got a Steam Deck? Yes, you did. Um, extensively. And, extensively. And, um, yeah, wow. Uh, this is like... you. So I was a little bit surprised because we talked um, the other day about Diablo and nobody, neither of you two are into Diablo or really have played it, right? I've, like, I've never played a single second of any Diablo game. It's, it's one of those games where I've heard it. I know exactly what the posters look like. I even know what the font looks like for the title. It's, mm. it's everywhere, Diablo. Um, I've seen huge posters of it in HMV, um, wherever they are now. Mm -hmm. But um, I've never played it. I, I couldn't even tell you what the genre of game is. Right. I just look at the picture and go, that's probably not going to be something for me. <laughs> so convince me. So I also needed convincing. So Diablo isn't really the kind of game that I play either. This is a action RPG so an action RPG is has a few different kinds, but this is more of a you you embody a character, so usually a single character in an action RPG, and they usually have a class, 
So I'm playing a rogue. Alex is playing a necromancer. But you can have things like barbarians and, and stuff like that. And the, the joke always used to be that, like, you would break mice doing it. Click, 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 click. Because they're very... They were very PC-focused video games for a very long time. So you move the character around, and then you click on an enemy, and usually you either click, 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 or you click and hold, and then you do attack, 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 attack. There's a few skills required of the player in the game. The first is being able to do things like crowd control and understanding what enemies are coming towards you and how you might need to react, how you might need to deal with those enemies. There's a little bit of that. A big part of it is how you're actually specking your character out. So which so you've got a whole bunch of different upgrades that you can purchase for your character. So uh, I play a, a, an archer effectively, and I've got a special attack that fires lots of arrows really, really quickly. But I could also get another attack that uh, does like a rain of arrows over a large area of space. And so I'm selecting the, the skills that I want to take with me into battle. Some of the skill is about specking out your character with better armor and weapons, and some of that you'll just find throughout the world. In fact, you know, a big appeal is like loot. The loot grind loop is big in these kinds of games. But some of the skill in there is also making sure that you're going to the right towns, getting the right stuff, going and grinding for resources so you can improve those resources so that you can embed gems into cool bits of armor that you've got those sorts of things and if some of this is sounding familiar if you've played borderlands imagine borderlands but played from third person that was really what borderlands did differently right. borderlands okay. went first person um but these kinds of looter action rpgs you know borderlands is a really good example of one of these things and obviously it's a first person shooter as well but um, but this is very much fantasy, third-person, action role-playing game. And they are not my cup of tea. The The setting of it, uh, it is dark, grim fantasy. Uh, everything is awful. And and when you think it can't be more, uh, you know, any more awful, it's suddenly even more awful. Like, everything is bad. It's just bleak all the way down. So um, what audiobook are you listening to as you playing? <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm playing this co-op and I'm playing a couch co-op. This is a this is one of those rare big story games where you can play this entire thing with somebody on the couch sat next to you. And so Alex and I are playing this cooperatively on the PlayStation. And so we're chatting to each other while we're playing this thing. We've played it for hours and hours and hours and we've just been hanging out and chatting away and talking about nonsense and and watching this game, playing the game, talking about how cool that is. Like, oh, cool, <laughs> his eyes burned him alive. <laughs> like, you know, all of that good stuff. Um, and, and at the same time, the actual moment-to-moment -moment play of it is challenging and skillful enough that you're engaged, but it's not so challenging and skillful, and certainly the story is not super engaging, or at least I'm not that bothered about it, um, that it's okay if you sort of... You aren't going to go and talk to every single villager because you don't really care what's going on to every single villager. You get it. It's bad, right? Things are bad, and you're the hero, and you need to, to sort it. 
It, it's interesting with you talking about how how bleak it is. Me and Sam recently started playing um, Returnal on PlayStation, which um, the story of in, within Returnal, the narrative of Returnal, is quite dark and it's quite mysterious. But we found that like that co-op element removed all of that because suddenly it's just about levity and it's about kind of um having fun and just laughing and this we we would joke in fact oh here comes a bit of story and like not fully engaging in it but loving the experience how much of this because obviously the kind of the 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 story beats and the genre and the style of story and the kind of the horror proper true body horror kind of stuff you're talking about is obviously much compared to Returnal, much worse than that, in, in, a, in a good way for people who like that kind of thing. Do you still feel that darkness or does the levity kind of take it away? Yeah, you do. And it's, I think for me, it's the way that it's delivered. So what the, mechanically, the way Diablo delivers a bunch of its stories, it kind of takes the control away from you. So you are basically there watching a cutscene, And that means that you, there's sort of an unwritten rule between you, yourself and your couch co-op partner where you sort of go, oh, okay, well, we'll listen to this bit because we've th- they've taken the control away from us so clearly there's something that we need to kind of pay attention to here. Whereas when it doesn't really matter, it just kind of lets you wander off and not really listen to what it is that's being said. Like the, some of that storytelling is, is incidental. But I think the thing that it does the the most is that it's un, it's always unsettling because it has quite a limited palette with which to work. Because it's a third person and it's removed from the experience, so it's it's like not top-down, like what we used to call it isometric, right? And I believe some of the previous entries were quite literally isometric. Because it's removed from that, there's not a huge amount of detail that you can see. So you can sort of see them your, your character's mouths moving and they're making gestures and all that sort of stuff. And it's really well put together. It's just the level of fidelity isn't really there. It's all kind of that slightly quaint video game canned animation stuff where they're, where it's like they're doing part of the movement. And because of that, it all comes through in the dialogue. Like it all comes through in the unsettling nature of the things that they're suggesting. And your brain takes on the horror and imagines it. So rather than something like Returnal, which is like obviously a gloriously gorgeous looking game, um, where it's like, if they're not showing you something, it kind of doesn't exist. In Diablo 4, they're not showing you stuff and your brain is filling in the gaps. And that is wonderful. That's the question I wanted to ask, is when Sam and I played Dead Space 2 and Dead Space 3, that's also a very good-looking game, but a lot of the horror is in its sound design. Yes. Not necessarily just solely in its visuals. Yes, there are jump scares, but it's it's that image coupled with the sounds uh-huh. that are built up to that where you think it's coming from one place and then there's yep. a lull and then suddenly it appears. So that's why I wanted to ask really in terms of how the sound design works in this. You've mentioned dialogue, but how mm-hmm. does the game sound? Sounds amazing. Yeah, so uh, there's... So... Mechanically, the game is very click, 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 right? You are a hero, right? And you are an extremely powerful, very competent hero, right? So it's not horror in so much as the things that are happening to you. And that's really important for the sound design because there's a lot of action going on. And when you hear the same sound of the bow firing, for example, 
over and over and over again. One of the earliest achievements that Alex and I got was kill 666, I think it was like beast men. And then another achievement that we got was kill 666 wraiths. Like, you're killing a lot. Like, things are getting... You're sh and because of that, you're shooting a lot of arrows, right? You're an extremely competent person. But you're hearing those sounds over and over and over and again, and they could get very grating. So there's a thing in audio design whereby you have to be slightly worried by things like sound clash, which is the idea that you're hearing that so many actions are happening that have sounds that it just sounds like a cacophony. And just so, a minute. Just a minute. Um, that always comes through sharp. Um, but let's say, for example, if you've got 50 different things happening all at once and they all have a sound effect attached to it, you could imagine how that might become too much. Well, the sound design is really clever in terms of its, in terms of its sound clash. It's always really good at prioritizing the audio that you need to hear as a player. So yes, there are beasts going and doing all sorts of horrible death sounds and all that sort of stuff, which, by the way, very rarely repeat like there's tons of stuff that you know it really doesn't great um but it the actual audio mix seems to prioritize player feedback through audio so i can tell that i have just unleashed my ultimate skill above all of the din and i will always hear that above and beyond you know a tree lord growling at me right um and the music oh chris if you want to be convinced for anything, go listen to the music for Diablo okay, 4. Okay, I will do. Thank you. You will. will... It's gorgeous. And and I, a lot of the haunting, a lot of the horror atmosphere comes through the music, uh, which is just, uh, uh, yeah, uh, just unbelievably good. It's really interesting you saying that you're playing this co-op because I think that actually forgives a lot of the things that you perhaps would not be turned on to of a game of this sort. Oh, for sure. Yeah, grim, yeah. Grim horror, but also the fact that I've just looked at howlongtobeat.com and the campaign for this clocks in around 35 hours. Okay. Which is something for as, as a, something to do with somebody else as a nice little couples thing. is actually quite nice, you know. Yeah. You know, are you envisaging, you know, if you, in your head, are you thinking, okay, we're happy to commit to this for quite a long period of time. It's not something we're trying to religiously perhaps finish as soon as possible, really. Are you? So this is where, so I, I will say with Diablo 4, I have been playing with Alex the campaign, right? So there's like a main storyline. And what we haven't gone on to is because video games are in a horrible place, uh, everything has to be a live service to some degree. There is There are seasons of content that are coming. Ah. And I have heard that, so there is, there is, oh, Chris, there is, a ton of content ahead of us beyond the campaign. I have basically said yes to Alex to doing the campaign, like the main storyline, because I'm kind of interested in playing an action RPG in, in, in that way and seeing what Diablo 4 has to offer. And I'm really enjoying that. Whether or not I'll go on and do the somewhat controversial seasonal stuff, the reason for the controversy is is varied and it's very difficult to figure out what's, what's ultra fanboy's kind of getting the knickers in a twist and what's genuinely like an actual problem it does seem to be a bit of a mix between the two um but like this game could go on forever and i don't think that that will be what we end up doing i think we will probably enjoy the campaign do all the side you know really mop up all the side quests and have a great time and then i think i'll probably be like brilliant that was great that's my fill of diablo 4 um that game will go on forever and ever and ever i'm sure um but you're right in that 
playing it co-op has really egged me on to actually doing it more. I do think I probably would have churned if it was just me playing this myself because it's not my cup of tea. Like I love RPGs, I love tabletop RPGs, but the thing I love about RPGs is the storytelling. And Diablo has a story to tell and it's, I mean, not mucking around, there's a ton of lore. Like, like, there's a load of lore and backstory and stuff like that. And Alex is, every once in a while, it's brilliant. <laughs> she gets to do that thing now where she gets to do what I do to her with Warhammer 40,000, where she will turn around to me and she'll go, uh, that's, uh, that's this character. He was actually killed in uh, this previous version of the game. And it's really important because that character is the one who killed him. So it's really interesting that this is really happening. And I'm like, oh, no, this is what I sound like. <laughs> Cliff notes. Yeah, yeah, basically. And so that's wicked. Like, that's really cool to have somebody who really loves that stuff and is really kind of up on it. And I will say this, they are without a doubt um, it, well worth you going and watching the opening cinematic for Diablo 4 as well. Uh, this is Blizzard at their absolute height of being able to do cutscenes. They've always been really good at them, like always. Uh, go back and play Warcraft 3 or just look for the bits and pieces of Warcraft 3. Even back then they knew what they were doing. This is like a totally different level. I would watch a film of... of like of their opening cutscene it is it's 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 absurdly good like some of the again this is a, the producer in me talking but like some of the stuff they're doing i'm i'm just sat there like damn that must have been expensive like like some of it is like i'm sort of like keeping a tally of how how much how pricey some of the stuff they must have been doing i'm like man that must have been and and, it, and it's in the cutscenes but it's also in things like so my understanding is one of the reasons that Diablo 3 got quite a lot of flack is because there were quite a lot of like uh, generative dungeons. Like they weren't unique. They were just kind of glommed together and eventually you start to kind of see the seams. Uh, Diablo 4, I believe, is almost entirely manually authored content, which is, again, like super expensive. Every town looks like a different town. Every dungeon yeah there's similar parts but they all look different and they all fit really well and they also all like the best tabletop role-playing game dungeons they all tell a story in the geography and in the and in the architecture like you're like oh this is very clearly a place people came to hide and they should not have hidden here and it's never like told to you in like the story but it's told to you through the atmosphere embedded narrative yeah oh it's yeah yeah it, yeah absolutely deeply deeply entrenched within you know the atmosphere around it really really clever should i convince you to play it no i don't think you two would actually enjoy it but like for an action rp it, like if you've any interest in that as a genre that's the place to start it's interesting because the 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 visual of it the kind of the look of the game the the style of the game is I always just associate that with PC gaming and I'm not a particularly PC gamer because yep. absolutely that point uh, and click I know exactly what you mean I, yeah. I look at that style yeah. that kind of top down kind of thing and think that's yep. PC gaming that's not for me that's yep. not an environment that I sit comfortably in um, and obviously they've done they had these games have been on consoles before this isn't a new thing I think it's it, it's really interesting that it's never seemingly made that leap to either a first person shooter or a third kind of third person shooter something like 
like a Tomb Raider took that step when it when it needed to kind of get newer pe- new people in and kind of reboot. They changed the dynamic of the, what the game was, and they've been very successful with it. So it's interesting that Diablo ha- Diablo haven't done that. Um, so what I kind of like, how well does it work? with a controller oh. as someone who's never played it and to me awesome. i totally see how it would work with a mouse point and click totally get that that makes yep. sense yep. based on the visuals i can just see how that works with a controller i'm kind of not as clear oh damn yeah so it, it's wonderful so they have spent again so much time and effort getting those controls right um the so you might want to think of like the controls in in, in kind of like two or three different ways right there's the combat right and this game is combat like like that's what you're going to be doing for 95 percent of the time like it, it it's combat 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 and it's fun really fun um and it makes you feel and it's a power fantasy not mucking around it makes you feel like a badass it's really cool like it's absolute power fantasy um and they have spent a ton of time getting that right so um your left stick is obviously movement, but also it's the direction in which you're going to be facing to shoot your weapon. So I'll give you an example of a, the archer that I have, my rogue. Um, I run in a direction and some skeletons are there and I get surrounded by skeletons, let's say. The direction I'm facing and then I hit X, cross, sorry. Uh, and that's the direction I'm going to be shooting my, my arrow, right? And it will lock on to the target that's in mostly in that direction right so it'll go okay you're pointing this direction you're probably pointing at this skeleton hold x you start shooting at that skeleton and if there's a skeleton next to them once you finish killing that baddie the aim will essentially kind of automatically lock but not quite it will automatically target the next closest thing if there's a close enough skeleton but if there's not it will just keep shooting in that direction you'll be hitting nothing right so it's got a bit of generosity to it but not a huge amount so you do have to actually think you're not just holding a button moving along and and that's it like you can just finish the game like that you do actually have to think about what it is that you're targeting then if then the other face buttons um and some of the shoulder buttons are used for special skills as well on top of that so i was saying you unlock special abilities so you've got your normal attack with cross let's say and then you might on square put a well, what I do is I charge up my arrows with a specific magic type, and I do that by pressing square. So that that like gives me a buff up to my character. With triangle, I get I summon some um, little weird wispy things to follow around me, and they're kind of like a little mini shield. But if I really want to hammer an enemy, I hold R two, and that's a really hardcore, um, uh, very fast arrow storm essentially fast fast moving set of arrows and it all just blends seamlessly like it all in the combat it all just works and i thought oh it might be a situation where i have to really think about which button press i'm i'm doing it really isn't like after five or ten minutes it's just like any other game you're just you're just going into it so there's a combat controls and that's one massive error and they've, they've clearly spent just a ton of money and effort doing this uh getting it right and then there's the other part, which is basically like everything else. So that's how do you interact with the menus to kit out your characters? How do you uh, go through the menus, like just, you know, looking at the map and, and things along those lines? And again, they've they've spent a decent amount of time on those, but those are all kind of things that have sort of been solved before. Um, 
And I would say that the combat works better than the menus. Weirdly, the combat is probably the more difficult thing to get right. Um, and it works effortlessly, I would say. Menus are fine. Um, we're playing co-op, like I say, and it's it's on the same screen. It's not split screen, it's it's on the same screen. So they've done an amazing job of fitting so much, two sets of information, two very dense sets of information onto one screen, uh, you know, one for each character. And you can do basically everything you want to do while you have another character there. So you open up the menu to look through all of your kit and the other player can be running around the world at the same time on the same screen as you. But they can also open their screen as well. So they can have two massive menus open and it all works pretty well. Um, there's a little bit of overlap here and there with like a few little tooltips, that sort of thing. But in by and large, it works incredibly well. Um, so in answer to your question, honestly, if I was playing this on PC, I'd play it with a controller anyway. Like, it's it, it. I actually would. So, it's kind of a relaxed gameplay experience. Funnily enough, if you're playing on a controller, if you're playing with a mouse and keyboard, it's going to be a little bit more like click, 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 like and really like deliberately like r moving your mouse around really, really quickly and all that sort of stuff. But with the controller in your hand, it's it's very you know laid back really for such an action focused game. Um, so yeah, they did really, really well with it. Um, I'm just really impressed. And the other big thing is, being a PC game, you might be mistaken for thinking that maybe it's inefficient, because obviously with PC you get a lot more resources to play with on the hardware. Uh, we are playing this on PlayStation 4. It looks amazing. It loads fast. It's smooth. It's great. Like, there's no mucking around. It works beautifully. It's got all the bells and whistles so it has cross-platform play uh so like you could play this against somebody on pc uh, from playstation 4 or playstation 5 or whatever it is yeah and, and and it seems to scale really really well as well so uh on playstation 4 you're probably playing on you know relatively low settings uh but if you want to crank that stuff up like the the game looks amazing the lighting is absurdly good like yeah, really, it's it's a technical tour de force, and the fact that they've got it working on PlayStation Four is kind of incredible. Actually, kind of incredible. I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't working on a Switch version because I I think if they can make it work on a PS Four, I don't think it'll be too far away to make it work on a Switch. Um, yeah, it's it's amazing, and you should totally play it if you fancy playing an action RPG. Uh, if any of that sounds like oh no, I'm not up for that. Uh, it's that, but for like. 30, 40, 50 hours. Dan, I just want to take this opportunity on the pod to thank you for recommending me The Bear. Ooh. Uh, I watched a bit of that when I was away. Um, really enjoyed it. Um, as you said, Dan, episodes are really short and they fly by because it's quite intense each episode. Very intense. I want to recommend to you tv series that is short episodes but not intense at all and this is a romantic comedy and i don't usually watch romantic comedies um, not because i have anything against them at all it's just that um i've not seen many that have done well because because you're, you're combining two genres there that are inherently very, very subjective. A little bit like horror, really. We're all afraid of different things and we're drawn to different types of horror or not at all. 
likewise romance and comedy getting that right mix of those two things is quite a difficult balance to strike um, so I want to recommend to you uh, Colin from Accounts which is a series that is on iPlayer it's from Australia from Binge um, eight episodes each one 30 minutes only one series um, and I found it quite a delight um, it's a little bit of a Trojan horse um, the premise is bonkers and it's a premise just designed to get two people who wouldn't usually meet or hang out together um, we have um, Harriet Dyer and Patrick Brammel who incidentally are a real life couple um, and the premise is this that um, Harriet Dyer who plays this character of Ashley she's a student doctor and she's just broken up with a partner and she's a bit um, she's not quite gotten over them and on her way to work one day she's walking across the road and she sees a bloke in a car and he gives way he stops and lets her cross and just in a kind of a weird kind of uh kind of way of showing kind of gratitude and just for a laugh she just flashes him and in the process of doing that he accidentally hits a dog and why did i laugh at that bit <laughs> and they end up then both taking the dog to the vets and the owner isn't there's no owner and the dog needs looking after so they both end up having to look after it because he says no you know it was, wasn't my fault you take the dog she takes the dog her landlord says you can't have pets here she's got nowhere to go so she ends up going back to his and there's this really interesting dynamic where the two of them are from quite different backgrounds. Obviously, she's a student doctor. He is the owner of a microbrewery, Pete. Mm. And he 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 is like you in 10 years' time if you're Australian and if you'd gone down that route of owning a microbrewery. Like you learn a lot from him about all the different kind of beers and things. It's <laughs> really... Pete is already hooked. Yep. And uh, and she just uh, and, and she doesn't really care, but she's got a lot on her plate. Really, she's got this mum who is so irritating. <laughs> and like, um, I don't know if you ever watched an Australian TV series called Kath and Kim back in the day. Yeah, very very funny series. She's a bit like um, Kim from that, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's trying to run this microbrewery, but he can't. He can't say he he's got all these debts, but he's finding it difficult trying to reach out to these people and ask for the money they owe him. And it's it does this really interesting thing where the humor is quite deadpan, which I love. Um, the situations are almost can be quite crude at times, but really really funny because at the core of this whole sitcom is this beautiful sweet sincerity so to give you a kind of an example episode two she's staying over at his house obviously in the spare room because colin needs round the clock care and the episode begins with her he's just asleep the camera's asleep he's you know stacy's bedside table him asleep and she just wanders into his room pulls out his drawer and just turns around, sits on his drawer, and just starts going to the toilet, just urinating. She's sleepwalking. She's asleep. Oh. And you just see his reaction. And, like, um, <laughs> he says nothing about it. Downstairs later, 
and she kind of goes i think she walks into his room later on and realizes what she's done she's oh my gosh it's happened again this hasn't happened since i was a kid i wonder if he i wonder if he knows and the whole episode is her getting her mum to go and replace his furniture they go to a furniture store to replace it so what starts is something quite crude and you think oh is that just a cheap laugh um yes it is a little bit of a cheap laugh at the beginning goes into the goes evolves into something always inherently sweet right okay it's a little bit of you know bit of pathos there because you need to have this a little bit of drama in places but the people that surround them are equally quite flawed quite quirky human beings you know the people he works with in the microbrewery <laughs> the people in her family um you know when she's tr- struggling to be a, um, a student and a doctor and trying to manage her love life and stuff and um for eight episodes each one 30 minutes it's just a lovely thing to just to have on uh, really and um i can highly recommend it it's got tons of plaudits not that, that should mean anything and i really hope they make a second season of it um and uh yeah Colin from accounts is just a real joy it does sound like the 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 style of humor you describe is kind of what I think of when I think of some of those like great Australian comedies, the likes of like Kath and Kim, or I remember like yeah. remember Wilfred, the one with Elijah Woods. I think that was a, that was Australian, I think, where he has like a like an imaginary friend who's basically a guy in a dog dog costume. Do you remember that? Is that like Harvey almost with the rabbit? This is a dream. <laughs> I don't think it was a dream. Yeah, right. Yes, it was. Yes, I, I remember it now. Yes. So like that, yeah, like that comedy, uh, Wilfred with Elijah Wood, like that kind of almost deadpan humour, but put in like this absurdist environment. I mean, obviously with this, with kind of from accounts, it sounds like, okay, let's, we want to basically see what happens when two strangers go from being, go from being strangers to having a child. And obviously that's impossible, but you, you, that's why you've got the, you've got the dog there. So obviously it's an absurdist scenario to put them in and then. Mm. that kind of filters out from there so it sounds like the, that kind of comedy is what i think of when i think of kind of those kind of american uh when i think of those australian kind of things and that sense of humor seems to be kind of alive and well in 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 colin from accounts. so obviously colin from accounts is the 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 titular dog i assume Yes, and and he's at the centre of it. And occasionally the camera will just cut to him, and it'd be a ridiculous situation. You'll cut to this adorable dog. They've they've cast the most adorable looking dog as Colin, and bless him because of the accident, his his back legs are in a kind of like he's got like a wheels now, and Colin's at the centre of it all really. But um, so occasionally it will just cut to Colin, and you're just always reminded that. Colin is this catalyst for not only for the meeting, but Colin almost represents their relationship. Right. Because at instances where they don't get on with each other, they think, no, I think this is this is stupid, this isn't working. They can't because they can't leave because everything comes back to Colin. You know, they can't each look after Colin. They have to do it together. Right. And it's really, really interesting. Everywhere they go, they have to take Colin with them. And, uh, you know, when there's a shot of them in the car, he's just at the back in the middle. And uh, it's just, it's fantastic. It's really, it's really interesting because often in these kinds of premises, it's a ridiculous situation, these two mates. And then the writer has this very difficult job of trying to find excuses for these people to stay together. Yeah. Stay Mm. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For the whole eight episodes, they don't need to do that because there's Colin. 
Yeah. This narrative anchor that sits just at the centre of the show. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's really well written. It's written by this real life couple. And and it's really interesting because it feels at times perhaps it is, I don't obviously know them, semi-autobiographical. And it's naked and unvarnished in the sense that it reveals a lot of insecurities from both both of them. You know, he is nearly, you know, he's in his late 40s. He feels his age gap. Ashley's just turns 30 in this. And he feels his own anxieties about his own health. Hmm. Um, likewise she is at this kind of crossroads in terms of her love life and what the hell she's doing and she's she doesn't feel she's got the support of her family whatsoever she feels just quite really estranged for them really and at instances you flip-flop thinking i really don't like her as a person or i don't really like him as a person and then you discover actually like in in real life as human beings we're neither perfect or imperfect we're just somewhere in between really and um and that really isn't a new thing in sitcoms particularly situation comedies over the last decade and a half or so but i think the premise itself uh the characters they have here and just um just uh how brazen it is in certain areas you know it doesn't flinch from certain things makes it something that's both hilarious and touching really i would say in equal measure i've just noticed that the uh the the actor who plays the lead? Uh, one of well, the, the yeah the the lead uh, male in this uh, also voices one of the characters in uh, CBB's Bluey. So uh, I'll be I'll be tuning ah. in. <laughs> Do you know it was National Chocolate Bar Day the other day? Did you see that in the news? Oh yeah, many happy returns <laughs> in Thank the you. news. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> top top of the news at ten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Trevor McDonald sat there like, and as we all Trevor know. Trevor McDonald, when was the last time you watched the news? Very rare, very rare. Do you want to know what are the top five chocolate bars in the UK? The nation's favourite five chocolate bars. This is a game that we need to play, and I think I know what number one is, but let, let's try and figure it out ourselves. I will say, as a caveat on this, that some of these are really stretching the definition of a bar. Of a bar, if you know what I mean. So just bear of that in mind. Okay. Just just throw, some, throw one out then, come on. Okay. I think number one is Mars. Mars is not in the top five. You're joking. Yes. I'm going for Dairy Milk. Dairy Milk is number one, Daniel. Oh, yeah. What? Yeah. Does that, okay, well, hold on. Does that include all, does that include all variants of Dairy Milk? It must do. Must Pete, you lost. Just accept it. You, you, lost. you were, oh, you were so confident. You, won, you walked in there with your strut, with your Mars bar strut. I think I think it is I think Pete it is actually just the plain simple some would say elegant dairy milk I I don't believe you I just don't believe you so Dan's already literally straight off the mark called number one we need two to five all right number okay number two through five so I think if and this is amongst the Brits yes okay well all right um, Cause, yeah, because the Americans I'm, like the Mars. You're getting confused, won't you? Also, they'll 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 do Hershey's. An- another caveat: for some reason, this came from Betway, <laughs> where I get most of my. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's assume that it's true. Uh, okay. Well, I think. What else could Snickers? No. Yeah, what okay, is okay. Oh, I'm on this. The... Okay. Hmm. No. Do I go confident, the one I'm confident with, 
or do I lean into what Chris said in terms of one of them being uh, stretching what a bar could be? I'm going to go confident for now. I'm going to say Twix. Twix is not on there, Daniel. What? Oh, outrageous. Overconfident. Overconfident from Dan Frost. Okay, so a chocolate bar. Britain, I've there's a lot. British people, there are a there's a lot riding on this. You better have got these right. Okay, let's say. Do you know what? I'm just gonna throw one out there. I don't necessarily yep. I'm I, I'm not necessarily thinking this is correct, but a galaxy bar. Number two, well done. Oh, thank goodness. Okay. Okay, so I think we're getting okay. something here. People like like basic kind of chocolate. They don't like Simple. any any fruity yeah. stuff. Any throwing any no. caramel in there. No frills. No, no. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with just. I don't think it's going to be there, but I'm going to go with my favourite chocolate bar because I need ooh. I need to just check. And my favourite chocolate bar is a Cadbury's Boost. No, if Boost isn't on there. I didn't think you could get Boost now. I've not had a Boost since I was about oh, yeah. 13. Oh, yeah, you can still get them. Also, See also, Double Decker's still alive and strong, and they are excellent. See yeah. also. <laughs> no, over to Pete. Okay, well... Uh, okay, no. This, this is really hard, because I would have thought... I would have thought Mars would have been on there. But if it's not on there, then I guess... I guess all I can really point towards is like goodness. What would the great British public shove in their gob and call a bar? Are we I mean, what about a a, a milky bar? No, I love a milky bar. Yeah, I love a milky bar. Alright, we're losing momentum here, so I'm going to lean into the one that I thought that Chris may have been alluding to in terms of it stretching what a bar could be. And I'm going to say Maltesers, which is, granted That's is not a bar. five, Daniel. There we go, That's see? Five. See? Wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold it's on. It's clearly on. not a bar, so so clearly we can look at other stuff now. You can get the Maltesers bar, though. You can get a bar. Yeah, a Malteser, Malteser bar. Yeah, that's number five. There's one on here you should get, and another one which... Okay, You'll have you heard what? of it, but you would not think it'd be on this list. Chris, at all put us out of our misery. Cause I... Yeah, because I think, okay, all I'll say is have a break. Kit Kat. No. That's okay. number four. That's Kit no, Kat. You're, you're, you're not, you're not going to like number three, Pete, at all. Well, I'm not happy about the Kit Kat. So... Well, no. Number three, Pete. Ambassador, you spoil us. The Ferrero Rocher? Yeah. That's number three, apparently. I cannot stand Ferrero no. Rocher. No, it's like I, shrapnel. I, well, I'm not here for anti-Ferrero Rocher sentiment, but I am. <laughs> but that's why I, that's like, why I make this podcast. <laughs> Famous for it. But a Ferrero Rocher is there like a bar? There can't be, can there? There is a there is a chocolate bar that is a Ferrero Rocher. Well, you learn something new every day. Wow, listener, if you've learned something new today, why not uh, let us know? Nice. That's, I mean, uh, it's, I just want to check uh, with all that's going on in this turbulent time of social media. Is Instagram the only bastion? Is is Instagram the last bastion for us in terms of how our listeners get in touch with us? You know what? Instagram has got lots of nice pictures of us doing yes. nice things. Um, maybe we'll put a picture on there from Bavaria. Um, maybe Dan will put a picture of him at home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the 
you can always find whatever latest doodad we're on uh, on stayinginpodcast.com. Wait, is it stayinginpodcast.com? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, stayinginpodcast.com. You can always go to stayinginpodcast.com. That's where all the stuff that we link out to goes there. We are currently linking to Instagram, so I guess we're, we're you know, that that's a good one. Nice pictures. That's always good. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now. Uh, who knows how long that'll be. Uh, but more importantly, Steam Curator and oh, yes. Board Game Geek, we do have pages on there. Again, you can find them from stayinginpodcast.com. And the reason that we have stuff like that is it's actually useful for you folks because it literally talks about all the video games that we've talked about. You can just find them all there. And it's got links back to the podcast that we talk about them. So if you're like, oh, I wonder what Ox the I, I wonder what Oxford Free was talked about and you've forgotten the number of podcasts that it was actually on, you can click on Oxen Free Review on the Steam Curator page and it'll take you straight to it and you can start listening to it. Um Equally with Board Game Geek, it talks about every single board game that we've ever covered, and we have covered a whole bunch uh, of board games uh, on this podcast. Uh, it also links out to all the lovely places you can listen to this, but obviously you listen to it somewhere, so um, I'm going to try something. Please subscribe. Please subscribe if you are, or follow, or whatever the devil it is that the, the Apple Podcasts calls it now. Um, please subscribe, follow, whatever it is that you want to do uh, for, for free um, so that you get this delivered to you each and every fortnight-ish, twice a month. There you go. Uh, give that a go. That's a fortnight. That's a fortnight. And uh, I'm going to be sticking to music from Diablo 4 and Oxenfree 2 Ooh, Lost Signals gorgeous. on our Spotify playlists, which yes. are a laugh to get to, but you can get through to our through our show notes here yep. as well. I'll have a little curated playlist for all your different moods. Um, and also, just in closing, um, make sure whenever you leave a room, never leave it empty-handed.